The Bible reading today is Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49, and it's the wise and foolish builders. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Lovely to see everyone here. Integrity. Integrity. Defined as the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles or moral uprightness. And integrity is a rare commodity in our world. Observing people acting with integrity is often rare. I mean, how many times have you had someone make a promise and not keep it? Say one thing and do another. See, doing what we say is one way we can act with integrity, but what does it look like in our Christian walk, integrity in our faith? What does that look like? If we say we follow Jesus, if we say we are a Christian, if we come to church and sing the song, say amen to the sermon, greet everyone with a smile during the morning tea, yet on Monday look no different, speak no different, act no different and behave no different to everyone else, then are we living out our faith with integrity? In our reading today from Luke 6, 46 to 49, Jesus gives us two examples First of all, he gives us the example of what it means to hear and to do Jesus' words. And second, what it means to hear but not do them. And he gives the contrast between being a true Christian with integrity or simply being a Christian by association. Building on a solid foundation will produce a structure that is sturdy and can withstand everything that's thrown at it within reason. And and in this passage that was read out for us, a man digs down and builds a solid foundation on on rock. We too can invest deeply in our relationship with Christ so that when life throws stuff our way, we have the firm foundations, the right way of thinking and the knowledge that we are safe within his arms, that our life is hidden with his and that we have the fortitude and strength to endure. Now whilst that's all very true, That's not the point that Jesus is making. Here, the point that Jesus is making is that real strength comes in putting into practice what Jesus teaches. And whilst, yes, that will produce fortitude and strength, the focus that Jesus has here is far more along the lines of putting his words into action, acting with integrity in our faith. If we hear Jesus and ignore him, if we sit under his teaching, if we learn what he said yet never put that into action, then no foundation is truly laid. They will just be swept away and destroyed the next time life gets a little bit harder. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, yet never follow through, then our confession without obedience is worthless. I'm sure that we've all met people who talk the talk well, but never seem to follow through with action. People who know what they're supposed to do but never actually make the right choices to follow through on what they say they want. 
Now, apart in each of us, there's areas for each of us in which we do this. We are all guilty of this same thing. Confession without obedience is worthless. It lacks integrity. You know, we talk a lot about hope here. We are, we are called to bring glory to God and the hope of the gospel to the northeast. But what does hope look like? What does it look like? May I suggest that hope looks like doing what Jesus says, not just saying what Jesus said. Words are cheap. But value is in action. Hope is found in integrity. Hope doing what Jesus says, not just saying what Jesus said. So let's look at what Jesus says to do and how we're supposed to act. Let's find out from Luke chapter 6 what hope looks like for a Christian walking with integrity in our faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please illuminate from your scriptures today the things that you want us to activate to bring hope. Please open our eyes to what hope looks like and open our hearts to hear you deeply and to respond to what you say with action that will hold deeply in our lives and help us firmly follow you in word and in deed. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 27. That reading that uh, Colleen is actually the end of our allotted verses today. We're now jumping back to the start of the section I'm preaching on today. And it's uh, titled, as it begins, Love Your Enemies. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. There's a lot there. Let's unpack that a little bit. Remember last week where we found out that following Jesus is at times going to mean that we are hated, excluded, insulted and rejected. And, and that if that is true, then that is a blessing because it means that we're living a life of, of substance for Jesus Christ. We're living in a way that matters, a way that brings glory to God and that shares the hope of the gospel. Well, here Jesus continues that very same theme as he teaches on what love can sometimes mean. It means to love your enemies. It means to do good to those who hate you. It means to bless people who curse you. It means to pray for people who mistreat you. It means to stay around when someone insults you and be the bigger person that it pass over you like water off a duck's back. It means to be generous even when people just keep taking and taking from us. And the ability to bless those who do this, it really depends on confident trust in God's care and sovereign direction of the events of our life. If we do not trust God for all circumstances that come our way, how could we bless someone who curses us? How could we pray for people who mistreat us? How could we love our enemies and do good to those who hate us? Our ability to do this comes 
when we confidently trust in God's care and sovereignty over our lives. Jesus gives us vivid illustrations of how loving our enemies should look like. Even though we'll often be subject to abuse or being taken advantage of, we need to face this rejection differently from the world. That is, by being generous and compassionate rather than retaliating. Even when people take stuff from us, we're called to be generous to a fault. See, the standard by which Jesus' disciples are to live are higher than the standards of the world. We are called to live by the golden rule with respect to our friends and our enemies alike. We are called to treat others how we would like to be treated. This is hard. Everything inside of us screams to protect ourselves, to not place ourselves in situations where we could be hurt. And I'm not saying that we should just be walked over by people who want to mistreat us. We shouldn't knowingly choose to place ourselves in situations that could harm us. But if they do arise, as we go through life, as we have all experienced already and will always, always experience in the future, we'll, we'll experience that again, then we know how we're supposed to respond. Jesus isn't asking you to become a punching bag. He isn't instructing us to let people take advantage of us and use us and abuse us and just let it be. What Jesus is saying though is if someone mistreats you, show them love. If someone is angry, care for them and pray for them. If someone is having a bad day and takes it out on you, then instead of jumping down their throat and abusing them back, love and care for them in that moment and show the grace of the gospel to them in a practical way. Bring them hope rather than return the hurt. Wouldn't the world be an amazing place if, if that was the way we all responded to each other? We all have terrible days. We have days where our filter does not work. We have days where our frustration boils over and where we say things and do things that damage or that hurt our relationships with other people. That is called humanity. But wouldn't it be amazing if we responded by showing the grace of the gospel instead of returning that hurt? Is that what hope looks like? I reckon that's one way it looks like. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. In this passage of Luke 6, 32-36, Jesus gives three examples of the golden rule do good to others as you want to be to have done good to you. He gives three examples of the golden rule in action. The first one is to love with your emotions. It's easy to show love to people who, sh- who show love to us. When someone smiles at you, it's easy to smile back. When someone goes in for a hug, 
It's easy to reciprocate that. And for many of us, love is something that is reciprocal. The more we feel loved by someone and the more they demonstrate it to us, the easier it is for us to reciprocate and love them back. But that's not how the golden rule works. It's easy to do that. That's how the world works. But in the kingdom of heaven, we are called to love people even if it's not reciprocated. The second thing is to love with your actions. We're called to love not just with our emotions but also with what we do, with our actions as well. To do good to people even when they don't do good to us. I love a good back scratch. Anyone with me? Oh, good back scratch. I have so many different like back scratching implement tools all around the house that when I go and I really need that back scratch, I usually find something. If not, uh, you know, we have a good system in our house of reciprocal back scratches. The kids love them too. So, you know, do you want a back scratch? You give me one, I'll give you one. It all works out nicely. But it becomes a transaction. If you do this for me, I'll do that for you. That's not what Jesus is talking about. What he's saying is regardless of what you do for me, I am going to do good for you. I'm going to demonstrate my love for you with my actions, with no expectation that it will be returned. Jesus continues with demonstrating the golden rule by loving with our possessions. We should hold everything with an open hand. Lending our possessions or our finances to others is another way of demonstrating our love, not expecting that it will be paid back in full, it is okay. Now all of these three ways of showing love with our emotions, with our actions and with our possessions, are we demonstrating that, that we love that person if we do that? Yeah, yeah, we are. But more than that, we're actually demonstrating our love for God by doing these things. And that's the biggest point here. We will demonstrate that we are the authentic children of God sons and daughters of the Most High, because we love those who are ungrateful and even wicked. We demonstrate that we are sons by imitating God's care and compassion even for those who are evil. That looks like hope to me. Jesus continues on in verse 37 with more ways that we demonstrate our love to others. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Jesus isn't advocating here to shut down the courts and close down any form of legitimate discernment, church discipline or legitimate use of sound judgment. Rather, he's admonishing his listeners to discontinue the tendency to criticise and find fault with others. How easy is it to find fault with other people? Yep, that comes naturally. It's like a natural state of how we operate for most of us, I think, you know, create to pass judgment on somebody else. But if we take a good look in the mirror, then we'll certainly see fault after fault after fault in ourselves. Yet we can be so quick to criticise and find fault with others and at times can be so blind to the faults we have ourselves. Being critical of the world around us or of other people can be a real challenge for some of us, we, we look at the injustices that are around us and we look at how other people could respond differently and prevent or even resolve those injustices 
and we make a judgment. This summer, our society made a judgment on whether our Prime Minister should have taken a family holiday at Christmas time when there were some bushfires occurring in our country. Now I know that these judgments were most likely politically motivated anyway and the same people that had a go at him are probably the same people that are still crying that he won the election. But the vitriol that was expressed towards a father taking time out to spend with his family at a period of time when half the nation was doing exactly the same thing to me was exactly what Jesus is speaking against here judging and condemning someone when really what is being pointed out is is our hypocrisy. Who are we to pass judgment on others? Who are we to pass judgment on others? Jesus is saying here that if we really want to step in as judge and juror, if we really want to take that position and pass judgment on others, and if we want to condemn others, if we want to choose not to forgive others, then who Really are we. We are not God. That is his role and his role only to play. How unloving is it if we just live in a punitive world where everything we do is so highly scrutinised and judged. We will always fail. We are human. God is the judge. That is his place. And whenever we step into the place of passing judgment on other people, we have just stepped into the spot where God should have been. But we kicked him out. And for that, he will judge us. But Aaron, what about when someone's sinning? Aren't we supposed to point that out as a a loving brother or sister in Christ? Well, on the one hand, yes, we are. We are to lovingly come alongside that person And with a relationship of trust, founded on mutual love and respect, gently hold each other accountable. Does that mean we are to pass judgment on them? Or to pass judgment on others who we don't know? See, we as Christians have uh, been branded as judgmental. This has most recently been expressed through uh, the gay marriage debate and plebiscite. And this continues with attacks on things like the naming of Margaret Court Arena because she upholds a biblical view of marriage. And so because she doesn't support the alphabet people's lobby to have everyone celebrate them and their choices, and instead adopts the biblical position, the alphabet people accuse her of being judgmental. I've also been accused of being judgmental. Have you? Hmm. The argument is thrown back in our face that aren't we as Christians supposed to be all about love? Doesn't this very passage say that we shouldn't judge people but instead love them? Their line is, love is love. But my line is, God is love. And he has set out his best for us. He has identified what sinful behaviour is. And so expressing the biblical position is not making a judgement. God does that. But the point is still valid. Is that the best way to love someone to point out their sin? Not if we don't have a relationship with them. And I agree that the most loving thing we can do for someone is introduce them to Jesus and bring them the hope of the gospel. But how we do that really matters. I was recently having a conversation with someone about communion and whether there should be a warning given that it's only for believers so that we don't cause people to sin. And I take a slightly different approach. Let me explain. 
If someone is here at church and they're not a Christian, they're not a believer, and if they're told that they are excluded from participating in something we do because they're not one of us, then what message does that send? What benefit could that possibly have anyway? They're already sinners if they're not believers. They're already sinners and so it's not going to change that. But if they were invited to to participate and that brought them one step closer to Jesus because they were accepted and made to feel welcome in a multitude of different ways, including being offered communion, that if that helps them take a step closer to Jesus, then surely that's better than putting up a barrier between them and Jesus. Do we agree? And it's a bit like saying to to visitors or to new people to to let the the bag pass you by with the offering. I I know it's very well-intentioned. It's not applying pressure, not to make people feel like they they have to give, but it can also send the message that you are not welcome to to worship God in that way here. It can put up a barrier between that person and their worship of God. If they want to give, let them give. If they want to worship God, let them worship God. If you want to sing, sing. It would be ludicrous if we said to people, everyone's welcome here, you can all belong here, but please do not sing our songs. Only when you're one of us you can sing, right? Because sing is one form of worship. Or it's only those people that are part of us can pray. You can't pray if you're not one of us. It's the same thing if we say, let the bag pass you by, don't give. We're, we're potentially stopping that person from being able to worship God in a way that they may choose to do so. I do draw the line at flag waving though. <laughs> Sorry, that's just funny. Uh, so we're not going to say that anymore. If people want to worship God, worship God. We're not going to put up barriers between people and Jesus. We're actually going to try and do the opposite and tear them down. Anything that might be a barrier between people and Jesus, we don't want that. It goes. Everyone is welcome here. Everyone is welcome to participate fully and to worship God in every way. We're not going to judge you or condemn you. We're going to love you and bring you the hope of the gospel in as many ways as possible. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, we poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is saying to go beyond not judging and not condemning to seeking the positive well-being of others. The result is it will be given by God in good measure, not meagerly, pressed down, you know, filling all the space in the container, shaken so that the grain will settle and fill the container even more, running over so that it, a rounded heap will form at the top poured into your lap. You know, the folding of a man's cloak with his arms underneath, forming a container, a big container. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In other words, God richly blesses such an attitude. This is the life of abundance we are called to bring. Abundance of hope that we are to bring with us as we give. That's a little bit different to the prosperity gospel, isn't it? You know, the blessing comes in our attitude of generosity and giving, not in blessing receiving. The blessing's in the giving. He also told them this parable in verse 39. Can the blind lead the blind? 
Will they not both fall into a pit? What Jesus is saying here is about being blind to your own faults whilst judging others. Can we who are blind to our own inadequacies really pass judgment on others? We are no better than they are, just like the blind leading the blind. Verse 40, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. The ultimate goal of a disciple is to be like his master. A student can only be taught what the teacher knows. And we are not the teacher. We do not know everything our master knows. So how can we pass judgment on others if we ourselves don't have all the information? Here what, Buddhist, what being fully trained means is being like Jesus in every way. That is the goal of all disciples of Christ, to be more like Jesus in every way. That is our goal. But even after a lifetime on this earth, we only just scratch the surface of that until we are fully trained, we should withhold passing judgment on others and instead choose to love them and accept them and care for them, treating them as, though we, as how we would like to be treated. Verse 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is one of those well-known verses, isn't it? We've heard it many, many times. Who are we to judge others about the speck in their eye when we have a plank in our own eye but just can't see it? The challenge is not to judge others for the things that we are guilty of doing ourselves. But not all judgments are excluded. When we see our own sinfulness, when we understand our own standing before God, then we can help others with the specks in their eyes because we are humble before God. Then Jesus concludes this section on judgment with teaching about the discernment that can be made by the products of who we are. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This teaching can be taken either, either of two ways. In one sense, observing good and bad fruit allows one to judge wisely when dealing with others. In another sense, it can apply to the disciples themselves for the fruit of a bad tree involves judging and condemning others while the fruit of a good tree involves forgiving and giving to others and loving your enemies. Either way, the difference between a good and a bad tree involves the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Jesus doesn't want us to be gullible, naive or simpletons who are taken advantage of by others. We are to be discerning but not judgmental. We can observe the fruit of our own choices and the choices of others and then discern the correct action to take. Are we judgmental in our approach to life or are we forgiving and giving in our approach to life, even towards our enemies? That's what the true nature of our heart reveals. Out of the abundance of the heart, 
his mouth speaks. The true nature of people's hearts can often be seen when they speak without reflection, when they talk without considering their words carefully. What's the first word that slips out of your mouth when you stub your toe? What's the first thought that comes to mind when you see something go really well for someone you do not like? What's the first thought that comes to mind when you see a substance-affected person in town? What's the first thing that you say when someone asks you for money? It's a matter of the heart. So how can we protect our heart? How can we tend to our trees so that we can produce good fruit? How can the abundance of our heart bring blessing and love instead of judgment and condemnation? Well, I reckon one way to do that is to do what Scripture tells us to do. Psalm 119, verse 9 to 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? And I reckon if this is true for a young man, it's true for all of us. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Never underestimate the power of what you put into your heart. Guard your heart. Seek the Lord with your heart. Obey his commandments with your heart. Commit the scriptures to memory as a defence against sin. Declare praises to God with our mouths. Testify, shout out the goodness of God. Meditate on God's word. Delight ourselves in the scriptures, not neglecting them. Another way we can protect our heart and keep our tree pruned and in good shape is to to opening ourselves to being accountable with a close Christian friend. Giving that person permission to ask questions about how we're going in our spiritual lives and in our relationship with God, our families and our friends. One word for this that can be used is discipleship. Another's, you know, having a strong spiritual friendship. And we're going to launch our discipleship on March 22. And discipleship's nothing fancy. It's just setting aside an hour every couple of weeks to have a heart check with someone who loves us, who accepts us, who doesn't judge us and who wants the best for us. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Maybe we can do both. You know, Take a Psalm 119 approach to our discipleship and invest in our hearts with the word of God accompanied by the love and care and support and accountability of a friend. So what does hope look like? It looks like integrity in our life, in our faith, in our walk with the Lord, with serving others and with our heart that we guard. I got an email this week from... Senior Sergeant Lance Werner from the police station over here. And he said to me, and this, this came through on Friday, so it was you know, a few days later, he said to me, I just really wanted to say thank you for what your church did for us. It could not have come at a better time for our station. You know, that's, that's hope. 
That's love, that's care. That's not judging. That's not, you know, making a condemnation on anyone. It is a practical way of bringing hope, one that boosts people's spirits, that encourages their hearts. You know, as we were walking out, one of the members was, oh, saying, thank you so much for what you've done today. It, 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 it's just wonderful. Thank you so much. It's not hard. It, it, it's actually pretty easy to choose love over hate, to choose hope, to, be, to show integrity, you know, to do what we said we're going to do. And it's also not that, that hard to guard our hearts and how much easier it is when we have a close friend to journey with us and to walk with us in that journey too. So may I encourage us all as, we, as I pray to close that we would be people of integrity and that we would guard our heart and seek help and encouragement to do it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we indeed thank you for your word that is a light into our path, your word that tells us how we can invest into our hearts, how we can keep it pure, how we can store good things to then give good things. Lord, I ask that you would teach us. I ask that we would testify to your goodness and that, Lord, we would indeed invest into our hearts by investing your word into our spirit, that we would read your word, that, Lord, we'd be accountable to others to be reading your word, that, Lord, you would bless the relationships where we can have those those real conversations about how we're going, really how we are going, not just, yeah, 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 good, good, mate, yeah. But, but those deep conversations of, look, I'm going great here, but oh, I'm really struggling with that. And then we can have someone walk with us and pray for us. And Lord, I pray that this would be a, a, a great culture that develops in our church, one of discipleship, where we do meet with, with other people to, as friends and and as family together and love and care for each other. Lord, I pray that that love and care that we show for each other would then break out of these walls into our community. That, Lord, where there once may have been condemnation, where once may there, there may have been judgment, that, Lord, instead there'd be love, there'd be hope, and that, Lord, we would demonstrate the hope we have in you by the generosity of heart we have towards others. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.